We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just wanted to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. You know the deal with Skybox at this point. These guys are absolutely legit. They, uh, as you kind of get into football season, you're going to want to dive in, test the Skybox waters. They had their open championship picks a couple weeks ago, still crushing it on NASCAR. They've got MLB picks up right now. Give it a little taste before football season gets going because I promise you when we get back into full swing, we're going to have NFL games, college games soon. You're going to want to have Skybox as a guide because the difference when you add Skybox in your life is instead of paying the man every Monday morning, Sunday night, getting that text that everyone dreads, He's going to be paying you. You're going to be texting him being pay up, pal. So that's always the best way to go. You need to just don't walk into this blindly. You need a guide like Skybox. These guys are professionals. They will consistently lead you to profit. And there's no better time to get on this as we ease our way into football season. They have monthly passes, week-long passes. If you want to try a daily pass, you could do that. It's 10 bucks. Use the promo code RIPPY. You get 20% off. That's 8 bucks. Try it for a day. See what they're about test the waters, but uh, I would recommend going with the full year pass. That's over all sports. It's, you're going to make your money back and then some, I can promise you that. But whatever the whatever your price range may be, they're going to have a picks package that fits you, whether it's month-long sports-centric, week-long sports-centric, week or month-long all sports, whatever you're kind of feeling that uh, that you can afford financially, I promise you they're going to have a pick uh, price package or picks package, I should say, that will fix Fit your price range. So check these guys out. I'm wearing a Skybox hat right now. These guys are legit. A lot of pretenders out there in this industry. Skybox is not one of them. And when you go buy a package, use the promo code RIPPY and you'll get 20% off. Please use the promo code. I know people are using Skybox, but uh, when you use the promo code, one, you're not pissing away free money as opposed to pissing away free money when you don't use it. Two, it also lets them know that we sent you, which is mutually beneficial. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Going to check back in with Greg this week, see if we can kind of change up the deal for the people, maybe just see what he's got going on at the store. Maybe there's a grill corner on the horizon. Who's to say? But check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Oxford's so lucky to have it. Lane Train special, Keith Carter special, all kinds of delicious sausages. He's got barbecue sausages in there. They've always got seafood going on. It's absolutely 
the best place in Mississippi and the world for that matter to go to go and get uh, your meat, all your grilling, sous vide, uh, whatever you do on the grill with uh, smoked meats. Uh, that's the best place to get it done. Don't go to Kroger. Don't go to these other chains. Greg actually cares about this stuff and cares about you and wants to meet your needs. So please go check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, you right now you get a free newsletter that's rippyrights.substack.com. Just type in your email, newsletter three to five times a week from yours truly. And right now the deal we have is a 16 ounce prime strip and a pack of sausage for 20 bucks. That's a hell of a kickstart to your weekend. So go subscribe to the Rippy Rides newsletter. Go check out all LBs has to offer. University Avenue across from Kroger. One last note I'll add on LBs is uh, kind of looking for uh, some grilling stuff uh, going into football season. Greg will hook you up, whether that's a tailgating thing. I know you people finagle grills into uh, the Grove, uh, despite what the uh, legislation fine print might tell you. So that's another option for you to keep in mind as we get towards football season. This is a strictly football-themed podcast. I told you guys last week, teased it, I was going to introduce some uh, some new regular football content we will have on the podcast this year, and we're starting that off today. Weldon Rodenberg, a former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, will be joining us at least once a week during football season. We're definitely going to go like a reaction show, uh, kind of like Colin and I did for baseball, um, off the game. So that will be out on Sunday nights. And then after that, I'm not sure what the schedule will be, but uh, Weldon has, brings tons of expertise from an evaluation and really just a football knowledge standpoint in general. Really happy we were able to make this work and get this going. I think he'll provide a lot of really valuable insight, as you'll be able to hear in this podcast as well. He's got a uh, very strong, keen knowledge of uh, evaluations and really will kind of add an element to the podcast that I can't bring, and that's understanding why things happen uh, on the football field and guys' strength and weaknesses from a skill set standpoint. I've never pretended to be some sort of uh, some sort of film junkie and uh, kind of understand the nuances of a player evaluations and stuff. And I think that's an element that hopefully through this, I'll learn and get better at it as well. Weldon will be able to provide some added insight to kind of let you in on uh, you know, someone that's had experience working inside a Division One football program sees on the field every Saturday. So I'm super pumped about this. This is his first podcast ever. So I thought he did a pretty good job. Uh, so it's just that. <laughs> Keep that in mind. I thought it was a great first podcast. I don't know. Maybe I'll evaluate him on that. But uh, we had a good conversation on just kind of his background, name, image, and likeness stuff. Uh, and then got to do a couple of, like, defensive evaluations on Ole Miss's current roster. But we've got a long, uh, long way to go before we actually get through fall camp and into the season as well. So don't want to go through the entire too deep on day one. But I think you'll enjoy Weldon's insight. I think this will be a lot of fun. So – I didn't record an outro, so once this uh, Weldon interview is over, that's just going to be the end of the pod. One of these days, I'll record an outro. But anyway, without further ado, let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Monday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line is a new podcast guest, recurring guest, Weldon Rodenberg, former uh, Ole Miss recruiting specialist from 2018 to, I guess, early 2021. Um, we kind of had to talk about this for a couple weeks now. I was kind of looking for some different things to do content-wise in the season. Weldon is also a friend of mine. I probably should have led with that part of it, uh, aside, <laughs> from the, uh, aside from the bio. But uh, I was kind of trying to pinpoint some different things, and I was like, you know what? Like, this would be perfect. We'll, uh, we'll talk some shop, talk football as we get into the season. Weldon brings a ton of knowledge about recruiting, 
um, recruited probably most of this roster, if not the majority of it, um, and has worked in and around football for quite a while now. So uh, I'm excited to have you, dude. What's up? Well, I'm happy to be here. This is uh, something I've always wanted to do. So that's why I kind of reached out and was like, hey, you know, I'll send you an audition tape. <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's make something happen. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I stopped working for the team, I believe, right before the bowl game last year. Um, so I've, but I've, like you said, recruited this whole team, uh, excited to be on here, excited to talk some football and, you know, whatever else we got going on. So, you know, good Bat, deal. Uh, Baton Rouge native, Ole Miss alum coming out of LSU country. <laughs> um, you know, what stood out about Weldon aside from sending in the resume was he wore a tuxedo to the interview for this. So I, I picked him over all the other candidates. So, uh, congrats on impressing and in the interview firm handshake looks you in the eyes. Great guy. Um, no, there was no interview process for this. <laughs> yeah, that's always everyone's favorite uh, small talk conversations. Wow, you went to Ole Miss from Baton Rouge, yada, yada, yada. You know, that's that's always a good one. But, um, yeah, there, there's still some LSU deep, deep down. But, uh, you know, it, I loved Ole Miss. It was awesome. Loved working with the team. Loved living there. And, I mean, it was it was the best. It made a lot of sense. I've never even like, asked you this in conversation. How did you start off? Like, how did you get your foot in the door? What made you want to get into working for football, recruiting ops, whatever it may be? Like, how did you get in with the Division One college football program? Yeah, I'll, uh, it was kind of an easy deal, to be honest. Uh, when Matt Luke got the full-time job, he brought in Tyler Siski to run kind of like the GM, player personnel, stuff like that. And I was actually at – Moe's Trivia Night, and they sent out a tweet on the Twitter account and was like, hey, you know, we're looking to hire some students. I was actually a senior, so I was at a huge disadvantage, um, but they sent out a tweet. was like, hey, we got some uh, job openings in the recruiting office. I remember I left Moe's immediately, went home, fixed my resume. I mean, it's something I always wanted to do. Um, and then I emailed them just so many times, which I think is just a good, you know, for anybody listening, when you're trying to get a job, especially one like that where it's blasted out, it's all about just persistence, persistence, persistence. And um, eventually he called me in, was like, you know what, I, you're actually annoying me, so let's just talk it out, <laughs> figure it out. I love that. Um, and at that point, he was like, yeah, you're good. Uh, we'll bring you in. So I was the – part of the inaugural Shark Tank, basically, which I know people were aware of, which is a name I always hated, but, um, and then got hired full-time after I graduated and then worked for another year under Lane, that Lane's first season, and then just had to kind of make a, a life decision, basically. And it was such a crazy year with COVID. Um, ended up getting out of it, and uh, now I'm here in Houston working for a chemical sales company. So <laughs> quite a different uh, trajectory. Yeah, I never even completed your bio. I'm the worst at intros, like on podcasts. Ever that and ad reads are just absolutely two of the most atrocious things I do, which are actually pretty integral to podcasts. But we've survived anyway. You did work full time. Now you're in Houston, or as you just mentioned. So. I mean, we're kind of one in the same in that, right? Like I'm a, just a humble grease salesman over here in Dallas these days, uh, no longer doing this full time. Like it's I, not that we like, ever worked in the same industry, but I feel like the whole like journalism media thing as well as football, whether it's on the ops side or on-field coaching is, is 
the, like, I think you would consider it one of the greatest jobs in the world, right? Like it's so much fun, but it's also like so cutthroat and competitive and the whole like job security thing is not always the greatest part about it. And I always just like found being on the other side of that and kind of weighing the pros and cons of like a desk job versus that kind of fascinating. But I do feel like there are some similarities there. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, prime example, the first year I was a full-time member of the staff, I got fired. I remember uh, to this day I'll never forget it Jeff Coons who was the linebackers coach uh, at the time was on the road comes back I guess that next day which I think was a Sunday or a Monday and uh walks I walks into his office looks me in the eyes like welcome to college football (laughs) the smile on his face it was just you know some of these guys they just when you're in the industry for so long in so many different places, you understand how it works. It's not the end of the world for anyone, especially if you're good at your job. I mean, that whole entire staff ended up getting hired somewhere. Some even better jobs. And, you know, it is a crazy industry. It's fun. The people you meet and are working with, you know, you're building a team basically. And I, I mean, I had a small part to play in that, but uh, now I get to just have so much more time. And that's, that's the most important thing, which is time, you know, just a little stress, less stress, but some of that stress was so much fun. So it, that's not really the biggest point of it all, but um, yeah, I mean, it's been great. And now I'm in media. <laughs> <laughs> now you're a professional podcaster. Yeah. You throw that on the resume. You might, uh, might uh, start moving up quicker uh, within the industry, but. Um, yeah, this is the first one I've done. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> You got, I would imagine probably not. But we'll, we'll have had one under your belt by the time people are listening to this. And then you just keep adding up. All about reps, uh, sort of football. But I think that Coons example is really interesting in like a perfect encapsulation where like the news happens or whatever, and he's just kind of grinning. Who one? He was a really smart guy. He was very enjoyable to talk to. For you know, every ten interviews, seven of them are pretty boring. Just the can setting that we do get to talk to these guys because it's not the same thing as professional sports. He was always like your ears would perk up when he talks. He's a smart guy, but he's also not that old, which kind of just goes to show you kind of the brutalness of that industry where like he was seasoned enough to just kind of grin and be like, all right, here we go again. Here yeah. comes another roller coaster. One of the things I never thought about like with that whole job in that industry was like, so like, you know, after that, like Brennan Chapman had like, sounded like had the option, a couple of different options to stay in it, elected to get out and do something different. I never thought about like it, particularly in some of the off the field jobs when there are staff turnovers, like there's probably a couple guys each time that happens that are just kind of like, yeah, I'll do something else at least for the time being. I've never thought about them changing industries. Yes. And I mean, staff wise, they, you know, sometimes you just don't mesh in off field, you know, when you're off the field, it's so important to like have the staff trust you and you be able to trust the staff and know everyone's doing a good job. And yeah, Bernie ended up not, wanted to come back and I think he's doing great now and it's just it's just really a matter of do you like what you're doing it's like in any job like do you like what you're doing do you enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it you're gonna you're gonna leave and do something different and that's easier for some people than other people but uh there it's just all about fit really especially with that kind of industry and that kind of job you can't be in the office as much as you are in football and not enjoy yourself so you got your foot in the door and you meet with Siski and they give you some work. I'm throwing a couple of different questions at you at once. Kind of take me through how your job role evolved from what you did at first on a day-to-day basis, then to how, maybe how that changed full time 
you know, all the way up until the end. And then I guess the second part of that was like, when you got into it, what did you want to do? Like, did you have an end goal? Like, you know, I guess the easy answer for me would be like, I'd like to cover a major league baseball team or I wanted to work at ESPN, shit like that. Like, did you have an end goal for it? And then just kind of take us through, I guess, that, that whole three-year process. I guess I'll start with the second question first. I did have an end goal. The end goal was to be in the NFL. That was by far the goal of it all. And, and this, in that kind of industry, you know, there's so few opportunities. You have to start from the bottom. You don't ever start from anywhere but the bottom. And I, I, I talked with an NFL team once, but I hadn't graduated yet. So it was like, okay, we're meeting each other, but like, they're not going to hire you as a scouting intern if you haven't graduated college yet. Um, so that was the ultimate goal to get through that. And that's such a different industry. It's way, 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 way different than college, though there's a kind of college setting up the off field similar to the NFL, just the way those things kind of work are very, very different. Um, but so let's go back senior year. When you started the shark tank, he set it up just like Alabama did all these guys around the country that are working as quote unquote general managers almost every single one of these guys got started at Alabama and that's how this thing has grown. So they, they modeled it just like Alabama did all the students that were quote unquote recruiting specialists all got their own individual coach. So you worked that coach's area position and you're just cutting up film basically. I mean, that's your only job. Yeah. You work the camps and you know, you do game days and recruiting visits, but the main day to day was cutting up film. And uh, I had John Summerall, which is someone I still talk to today. I actually saw him two weeks ago uh, down in Point Clear, Alabama, someone I still keep in touch with. And uh, it was awesome. It was so much fun. But you have to learn. And that's what Siski and Matt and Lindsay does now. They, did, they both did a great job of teaching you how to actually cut the film, which is you know, an important part. You got to do it quickly and efficiently. But also teach you what you're looking at because I had no experience in it. That's how you learn. You learn by doing it. And uh, I got it pretty quickly. And once I was hired full-time, I was ahead of all the, uh, the head of all the Shark Tank members, basically. The, the head recruiting specialist, which is a made-up title I gave myself. So you were, oh. <laughs> I love that. Dude, there's nothing better than making your own title. So when you're full-time in your head recruiting specialist, you're in charge of all the student workers who are assigned to the coach. Do I understand that correctly? Correct. And Clay Carter worked with me as well. So and he was the uh, assistant director of something, something, something. I can't remember. Um, and he was, uh, he also was ahead of them, but he had other responsibilities that I did not have. But my main responsibility once I got to that point was, uh, was really creating the watch list for the staff. I was kind of the first guy who would go through and be like, all right, here's who we're watching this week. Let's get it to the kids to cut them up. Let's get it to the coaches, coordinators, head coach, and whatnot. And that was really my main job. And then once Matt Lindsay came in, he uh, kind of split things up a little bit. I was uh, matched up with Coach Levy. So I worked with Coach Levy with quarterbacks and the offense. And Clay ran the offense. I helped him, but mainly helped with Levy. And then uh, he brought in a guy from South Carolina who did the defense. So it's like, it just depends on who, how you want to set up everything. Um, and that was basically my role was uh, being in charge, helping be in charge of the offense for Lane's first year. When you say cut up film, like whether it's the first child or whatever, are you, is that all prospects? Or are you cutting up game film from current players as well? Like what are you predominantly watching? 
all prospects. Okay. No, how do you all get, the, how do you go about like the GA? The GAs and analysts will handle like cut ups of the players on our team. We were strictly recruiting, so it was all prospects um, for us at least. How do you get like so? Like it's sometimes even before, I guess Max Preps has been around a while now, but even within the age of Max Preps, like I remember like trying to find like high school rosters and stuff because it's hard as hell to depend on. Most high, a lot of high schools don't even have SIDs. <laughs> it's gotten better about it days, but like you know what I mean? Like it's 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 hard. Like how did you go about getting film? Oh, I mean, well, getting film was easy. We had a database that Huddle has like for colleges. Okay. So I mean, you had, but that doesn't mean the kids put it on there. Right, yes. <laughs> so it, it's not it's not that easy. You know, some of these kids are ghosts, which is why it's so hard to find kids, especially like needles in the haystack, because you know the coach from the private school in Amory, Mississippi, or something doesn't know how to put their kids' film on Huddle. So you have like the wrong numbers and the wrong years and stuff like that. Um, but what we did have that helped with that was there's so many camps now and there's websites and databases of camp film that you would attach with just the typical, you know, huddle film. So, I mean, you have so much information on these kids when it comes to numbers and testing and camp film, game film, game cutups. I mean, eat everything. It's all there for you, but you just have to pay for it. <laughs> right. Okay. It's not cheap. It, that makes sense. And so when you became full-time and you said you're the head recruiting specialist and you kind of started putting together the watch list, is that the first time that you're getting any sort of input on like, hey, who's a kid you should watch and shouldn't? Like in terms of like, I guess, not swaying decision-making, but having input in the recruiting process as opposed to cutting up film? Or did you kind of get to sprinkle an input when you cut up film as a student as well? How did that kind of work? Um, it, it all depends on the relationship you have you know, with your coach and with whoever's running your department. And um, I had a pretty good relationship with Summerall and then Coons and then Levy. So, you know, they'll trust you. Now, at the end of the day, it's their decision and the coach's decision. So it really, it's all just, you know, giving some tips, like giving some background maybe on the player the coach wouldn't know about because they're not, you know, it's not their job to know all things and everything. You kind of give them that kind of information. But um, yeah, I wrote in my evals and I know, I know I made up that title. Like my job, I was not running anything there. <laughs> I was a part of it and helping it, but not running uh, too much of anything. But that was an important one that I did. And yeah, I gave input. And yeah, shoot, there are times we watched a kid that, that stunk. And that's my fault. <laughs> and I believe me, they let me know it. <laughs> but which happens, I mean, sometimes you're like, man, I think this kid's a good player. I'm seeing some stuff. And then, you know, some of the coaches are like, no, like he's not a good player. Why did we watch him? <laughs> right. You're like, well, that's my fault. I'm sorry. So how did you, you, you said you, there's something you always wanted to do. When did you start figuring out you had some sort of knack of evaluating talent? Because so for someone like on the other side of it, covering football, and, like, part of the reason I would always, like, hammer you with text messages when I was working on the beat, probably beyond the point you annoyed Siski, was, like, I understand. And I told you this when we were talking, like, out what we wanted to do content-wise. Like, I understand football, obviously. I understand, like, strategy, who's good, like, why team's bad, why team's good, who has more talent, depth chart, shit like that. But evaluating individual kids, other than just kind of looking at a couple different things and being, like, holy shit, this kid's really athletic. Like, I can see it. But like, if, how did like how did you how did you get into evaluating and you, did you, when did you realize you had like a knack for it? Because that's something I still don't have a knack for at all. I couldn't look at some kid beyond size 
And, you know, I mean, if you click a 40 time, you know, it's four, three or something, I can tell he's probably fast. But like, how did you kind of get the nuances of that? And when did you start doing that? Oh, I mean, the, I started when I started that job. I had no prior experience evaluating players. Um, Interesting. Or starting to work for Ole Miss. I mean, unless I was going on. I mean, I played football, so I had, you know, for the fighting Episcopal Knights 2A. But um, I, that was my only real football experience. And um, really it was just about working, you know, working and doing it and seeing it and having people point out things. I mean, you learn something every single time you watch with a the coach. They're like, look at what he's doing here. You know, look at his hips. Is he stiff or not stiff? And some of those uh, tag words, you know, those pointer words that they, you have that, like, you're supposed to be looking at and looking for. But like I mentioned earlier, a lot of these things, you know, have different meanings for everybody. And out the Alabama system, the way they set this thing up, you know, they had what they were looking for in each individual position, whether it's height, weight, speed, all that kind of stuff. But it was more than just evaluating the film. It's also like learning as much as you can about the kid. There's more in recruiting than just evaluating the film. You have to know the kids and the parents. And that was a part of our job as well. We did all the visits, uh, official visits, unofficial visits. So you have to help with that as well. I mean, we're not really selling the kids like the coaches are and the players and the team are, but we're there facilitating what's going on. So there was more, there is more to what I was doing and what we all were doing there than just, you know, crunching numbers and on the computer 24 seven. That makes sense. And one of the things you said there stood out too, because I remember I was standing out there one of the hundred degree plus days of camp one year, I guess it had to have been like 19 and just kind of bored sitting there talking to Siski and I mean, how the kid's not here anymore. And Siski's not working at Ole Miss. I don't think he cared sharing this, but he was like, I was trying to ask him some of those things like that. Mostly just curious. Like I didn't really have like an angle or anything. I was just kind of having conversation, kind of bored, like trying to learn stuff. And Siski like pointed at CJ Miller, who is a safety for a quick second at Ole Miss. I think he made it like two years, ended up transferring out. It was yeah. like, it hasn't panned out on the field for this kid yet, but he has NFL hips, I think was the term. I may have screwed that up. But like, he was sure. like, watch how good, how quick this kid's hips are. And like once Siski pointed it out, I kind of started looking at it and Miller didn't play a ton, but like I kind of went back, I guess later that night and started find, trying to find whether it was high school, college film of him that I could. And like, I can kind of see what Siski was saying once he pointed that out. I guess the hard part, and that's why you guys have the jobs you do, is identifying that on like on your own, like not not having to have someone point that out for you. But it's funny because those pointer words sound like such cliches, but like when you actually see it and it clicks, it actually makes sense. Like it doesn't seem like a cliche if that makes any sense. So it's kind of crazy. And so was that the hardest part of like picking it up? Like how long did it take you, I guess, to quote unquote get the hang of it? Oh man, I mean, like. What felt when I was confident to bring a kid up to a coach or something, at least a year wow. of going okay. of working there and going through it. And then like being so confident enough to be like, this kid's good. I can tell you why and I can show you why. I mean, it takes time, like anything does to be good right. at any it takes time. And um but what was interesting that you brought up camp is that's we ran camps and seeing a kid and evaluating a kid in person compared to film. I mean, it can change everything. That's why you see these offers come out during camp so much because you're like, you see the kid, meet the kid, see how he competes. But that's it's hard to see the 
the positives and negatives in person too. You wouldn't know it. If you were just looking there, you might see something and be like, oh, wow, like this kid's athletic as hell. But in reality, not really. You know, right. it's just you have to see just from a certain angle, a certain perspective. Uh, um, but yeah, it's uh, there are things you learn, but it takes time. It, it did. And it's, I mean, I, I would have to refresh myself a lot if I started watching film again, because you forget so many things, especially when you're in a group like we were, you, uh, you see so many different things and so many different players. Can you still see it though now? Like even just like say Ole Miss, like September, whatever, Ole Miss, I guess it's Labor Day night, Ole Miss playing Louisville, like, or any football game for that matter. Do you feel like you've gotten better at identifying like, I don't know, you see a kid make a play and you're like, okay, he actually has something here. Like, do you, have you gotten more, nuanced or do you watch football any differently after having that gig I guess is probably the best way to ask sort of I guess it's so different because in tv it's like you know there's commercial breaks there's people talking in the middle so you're not so zoned in on you know what's happening when I watch football you know I watch the line of scrimmage first and foremost some people watch the quarterback some people watch the back end I don't know but um, I wouldn't say I watch it completely different now. But when I was working with the team, I guess so. I guess you're kind of looking to see certain things, um, especially when I was at the games in person on the sidelines, um, at least for that, for Matt Luke's year. COVID messed all that up last year. You, you kind of see it and you're, you're focused on it on a different way, I would say. But that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would say so. so one of the things, another thing Siski told me one time. Um, it's funny, like how we've been on this podcast 20 minutes, I've had like three Siski flashbacks, which you, maybe you <laughs> argue is too many, but like, I don't know. He was an interesting guy to talk to. There are a lot of boring days at practice or fall camp or whatever the case may be. And oh, so he likes to talk to too. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I talked to him on the sideline was kind of interesting. And one of the things he was talking about, it was like, I don't watch kids highlight tapes. He's like, that's worthless. And so I'm guessing he's talking about kids that, I guess it is huddle still, but like, what's the difference between like you cutting up film and him being like a kid's highlight tape, tape is worthless. So what we would do, cause you can, you can manipulate a highlight tape. Right. And now you're not changing like the speeds and stuff. I know there are some kids who will do that and you can tell easily. That's um, a thing. Kids will try that. You just all we, we were taught, look at the ref and watch the ref as he's running down. If he looks like he's sprinting, you know that things sped up because you. That's kind of crazy. Yes, um, I never. I, you run into it here and there, but not a lot. But um, back to what you're saying, they're called a cut up. Yeah. We added a cut up with a highlight. A cut up is basically you watch huddle will have each individual play, and you can watch each individual play, and you put good, bad, and ugly. Okay. Good plays, bad plays, ugly plays. Now, some people don't do that. Some people uh, just want the good plays. Because even if you're evaluating a kid, his best plays might not be good. You know, you can be scoring a touchdown, but if you're going untouched playing against a bunch of nobodies, it's not that impressive. So you can really – when you do the cut-up, you can tell so much more about a kid. I mean, you can even tell if he's playing hard or not because you still see the end of the plays and stuff like that. So that is, that's what he's saying when he means the highlight tape is not important. I mean, it is kind of important, but the cutoff tells you everything. Yeah. I mean, you could tell he didn't mean like totally literally, but he was just yeah. trying to get yeah. the point across that it was, you know, those things aren't as valued as much. So 
before we actually get into some Ole Miss football stuff, the last thing I had for you was you mentioned this at the top. It was kind of interesting. The original Shark Tank, you're like most of these GMs now that are modeling the kind of that structure, like got it from Alabama or worked at Alabama at some point. And I think that's probably an underrated like influence kind of tentacles that Saban has had on this sport that spread across the sport for like, I guess someone that wouldn't know out there, I guess kind of how were things done before? Maybe it was just too many different ways to do it. And like, what is this structure you're talking about? That's kind of caught on and become so, so effective elsewhere. Like, how would you explain that to someone that didn't know? Shoot, I, don't, I have no idea how it was done before. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Brennan I was the only one, uh, Chapman yeah. was the only one there. I have no idea. I don't think it was overly organized. Um, but so it's not, it's just you structure it like an NFL team. You have your quote unquote area. I've said that a lot. <laughs> your area scouts. <laughs> right. And area scouts are the students. And then you have, you know, the national scouts, which would be like some of the full time assistants. And then you have your, your general manager which whoever that is, and, you know, they don't always call it a general manager. That's such a – I don't know why that term is thrown around in, in college football the way it is now. I don't know. I think Austin Thomas does that for, for LSU, and he was the first one to be called a general manager. I've never understood that term. But really, I think it's just you have more responsibilities than just recruiting. You're doing other things. I think Matt does – that's there now, does a lot of other things. So I guess that makes sense. But uh, that's really the way it's set up. It's just a way to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cycle the information differently. Having so many steps and so many people eventually getting to the head coach, seeing the kid, watching the film and whatnot, and anything through recruiting, just having more people. That's all. That's always what it's about, having more people. And Bama has the most people working in that office possible. Right. And that's why this thing has become so popular because, like, there's so much more technology. There's so much more money in college football. You can pay people to do this and keep them there and whatnot. So, I mean, it's grown dramatically. And I can't, I can't really remember a lot of the names, the guys who are around the country, but shoot, most people that are in the SEC that are in the job that Matt Lindsay has right now, almost, I would say, 50% of them started as a recruiting specialist at Alabama. All of them. They've, they've created this cycle. The, uh, I lied. I had one more thing I wrote down, but I forgot to mention it. When there was a staff turnover and Kiffin kept you around, what was that process like? And, like, when, you know, whatever, Egg Bowl happens, Luke officially gets fired on Sunday. Uh, so you had three days in between. Like, what was that limbo period like? And, like, I don't mean this in, like, a bad way, but you weren't, like, a high-priority, high-up guy. Like, what led to him? There is no offense taken in that. That is 100% true. Yeah, like, what, like what, what? how did that process go? Like, did you just assume, okay, I'm out of a gig? Like, were you surprised? How did that work? I didn't know how what was going to happen next. And we just kept working. You know, that was just how – what we did. We just kept doing what we were doing. And then um, – eventually when Kiffin was hired, he brought in Alex Collins, who is still there today. And Alex or Siski was let go. Alex was brought in and we didn't know if Alex is going to be running the thing or not. So he was kind of headed up and Clay and I were still there and we were just kept working and working and working. I was so, 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 so low on the list of Kiffin's main priority concerns <laughs> right. by far. So he eventually, like when he brought in Alex uh, and then hired Matt. Matt kind of talked to all of us. Well, yeah, like we're good here. So 
kept me on, kept going, kept working uh, throughout that season. It was a very interesting period because, I mean, there's people talking about you. I mean, not necessarily me, but, like, once once the whole staff was let go, it's, you know, you're just hearing all this stuff, and you're like, who's going where? What's going to happen next? Who's staying? Who's going? And, like I said, was not even close to a priority on anyone's list, but you're still there, and you still don't know if you have a job or not. And I'm in Oxford, Mississippi. It's just – it was a crazy time. It really is. I, You know, I know – some things have to happen. You have to win games, but that's not something I would wish on anybody. It's, it's tough. Yeah, I can imagine that as well. Because I remember texting you a couple of times throughout that process, trying to just like get a little bit of a feel for like what – because, you know, Kiffin in particular was harder than any coach I ever covered. Like, and I only did it for a very short amount of time. To try to get a read on what he was going to do from like a staff standpoint or really just any sort of program news at all. And like the one thing I guess looking back now I never thought about was like you guys probably didn't know. I mean, you just you just said it like you guys probably just you had no idea, which I imagine is a weird place to be professionally. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a, I guess a side of it I've never really thought about. And so as we're kind of like transitioning into this year and going into 2021, I thought SEC media days were pretty interesting for, you know, I've, I've, I have like mixed feelings about that event. It's definitely an event made for TV, like for guys like me and what, like what we did, you don't really get a ton out of it. Like us sitting in a room with 300 people versus 15 asking the same questions to whomever it's still the same answers, probably just slightly diluted down and slightly worse. But I do think there are, like, vague indicators you can take from SEC Media Days, which I talked about last week on the podcast. was like 2017 was weird. Freeze had a filibuster for half an hour or 24 minutes and then had a question planted about a special teams uh, returner in order to just kind of make it through the half hour in the main room and not have to take questions about the in, what we thought was the NCAA scandal. But in reality was – and I don't know this for 100% fact – I'm pretty confident he had to know that story about what ended up being his undoing was coming down the pipe because the couple of reporters have later admitted they had the story there and just didn't have all the, the I's dotted and T's crossed to release it then. So I imagine he was deflecting from that a little bit, but that's not really the point. 18, it was kind of Ole Miss was an afterthought in a footnote. And then 19, it's the NCAA shit's kind of finally behind them. They're bringing Matt Corral as a freshman. They're selling this young, exciting core or whatever. Like, I guess the vibe of your team, to use like a millennial phrase, is kind of like a good temper – like the, that event serves as a good temperature checker. And for the first time in five, six years, Ole Miss was showed up to that event actually relevant, like for the right reasons, which I think is important to some degree. I, I guess you guys, your time on there, you may not necessarily have that sort of excitement, but from the very end of your time – till like 19, I guess, when the NCAA thing was over. Could you, like, was there a different sense in the building? Is that external optimism felt internally as well when the NCAA stuff's finally behind you? Yes, uh, to an extent, I guess. This is actually the first time I've really watched Media Days, only to really prepare for this podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just because I never cared about it. And we never got anything out of it. It was just the coaches and players going. It's a TV. A free, uh, a free PJ visit to, uh, to Hoover. Um, yeah, but you're always confident going into a season. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's a difference between the external look at a team and what the team feels internally. I mean, even when we 
were so low on depth going into some of those years. I mean, you're always confident. You always think you can win every game. And that's – I really do. Now, sometimes you're like, okay, this one's going to be tough. <laughs> right. But mostly you're going in the season with confidence no matter what. And um, I thought Lane was as open as I've ever been around him, especially during in the big room. And, um, you know, some of those guys go up there and just totally BS their way through it. It's amazing. It truly is amazing, like, that they do that and, like, are serious about it. But I think there is some real confidence in this team for this next year. I mean, some things have to go their way, and they have to – God, they have to get better on defense. But you could feel it a little bit with Lane, I think, at media days. And I, I do not doubt that they're confident in that building for sure. As we kind of head into the season, I was kind of going to get a couple of your thoughts on what you thought kind of were biggest keys on, like, them reaching their ceiling or them being a little bit of a disappointment. And defense is – a place to start but I guess like before we get to that was like obviously you guys evaluate things every day you knew that the defensive side of the ball was pretty depleted from a talent standpoint but a lot of that was not your fault like I say a lot of it pretty much all of it in particularly in the beginning was not your fault right like the the previous staff aside from the NCAA stuff I say previous freezes staff that had been two ago now aside from the NCAA stuff really whiffed on the defensive side of the football really post 2016 and really wasn't good like in between that and 13 or as good so like I guess I'm trying to think the best way to ask this like obviously that's probably priority number one to fix but does it get frustrating when you feel like you've done a pretty good job recruiting a kid or recruiting a class from a defensive standpoint only to realize the results are not coming immediately because one those kids are not going to change the program as a freshman and two as you know it takes more than one class so, like, was that something y'all felt every day, and was it frustrating at all? Yeah, you definitely felt it. I mean, I just – I don't think people understand. You hear what the NCAA gives scholarship sanctions, and you're like, oh, like, thank God it's not a bowl ban. But it might as well be. <laughs> I mean, when you lose all those scholarships, depth-wise, I would imagine this team this year will have the most depth of any Ole Miss team since, like, 15 Sugar Bowl now, may not have the, you know, the upper echelon talent that that team had. But, yeah, it was – when we were working, they were like, God, we're trying to do everything we can. And, you know, I think in 20 uh, – or whatever Coach Luke's last year was, I mean, we did a decent job recruiting. We had like 11 true freshmen playing that whole season right. and playing well. And uh, it's just – it's tough to build a team back from what – they were dealing with, and obviously I don't know anybody from that free staff except for Coach Nix. Right. But I don't know what they what the whole deal was, why they were missing on kids or whatnot. I kind of followed it from afar, but not really. Um, but I think slowly but surely you're seeing the depth build back, the quality of players build back. And like you said, a freshman is not going to come in and save your team, not in the SEC. But, shoot, if you have one that can play early – that's just so, 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 so big. And you know from day one whether a kid's going to play early or not. Truly, when the kids get on campus, that's our most stressful day as the recruiting department was once you get to that first spring practice, you see the freshman out there and you're like, is this kid going to play? Is he not going to play? And you know, you may not know the first day, but you know the first day. You can just tell the way they're competing. And some, team, some kids take time. And you'll see that with this, with this crew. They've had kids that have been there that are – slowly but surely working them their way in but um yeah it was 
like I'm ranting, but it was it was hard uh, dealing with those scholarships and sanctions, and they're I think they're finally back. Yeah, absolutely, and I can tell you why. What happened before that was that the egomaniac in charge of the football program would have rather had the higher end four star receiver than maybe the lower end kid from the uh, two four seven rankings that could actually help you defensively. That was certainly part of it. I think it was more of an ego thing. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. So, like, as you – as they kind of go into this season, the defensive side of the football is fascinating to me because, one, I, like, just general observation, there's a shit ton of defensive backs on this team. And when you've had the worst secondary in the SEC for the last couple of years, that makes sense. But now you're kind of looking at it and you're like, this team actually kind of has some depth back there. If you think kind of Otis Reese coming into his own – Dean Leonard, I mean, name it, the Jake Springer kid from Navy that had to sit out yep. last year. Like, they've got a lot of options there. And I think even with the Jacquez Jones thing, or Jones thing, transfer, him transferring to Kentucky, I still think they're going to be okay at linebacker. This should be fine. To me, I guess when you look at this defense, doesn't it kind of start with the defensive line? Because I think, look, Sam Williams, if you can get him to play every snap, has the potential to just absolutely wreck teams. Uh, I mean, that's a big if. <laughs> yeah, I'm just an absolute freak athlete. And so – and then with him and Tariq Tisdale on the other side, like on the exterior pass rush, I think you're okay at the very front end, but you're an injury or two away from being like, uh, how many snaps do you actually have here of experience? Like, I guess would you agree with this, the notion that this defense, in terms of its success or how bad it's going to struggle – the defensive line might be the biggest indicator because I just think the secondary will be better by default. I would say you're right. Yeah, I mean, it all – especially in this league, it's all about the line of scrimmage. Um, I think, God, we signed like eight DBs last year, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we ended up being eight. Um, but different kinds of bodies. So, they'll play different kinds of positions, whether it's safety or corner. So, it's not, you know, signing eight corners. But it felt like it, <laughs> at least when we were there. Um, I just – Depth-wise, on the line, I saw Sincere David got hurt. Um, so, that's a, a blow to an extent. And um, But that's the, that's the group, especially Sam Williams, that just has to improve. And sacks are such an overrated stat, especially in college. It's all just about being there and getting pressure right. and not having to have to call blitz and DB blitzes just to get to the quarterback. Because though they'll be improved in the back end – those kids are young, very, 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 very young. And if they're playing early, that means they trust them. Like, you don't play a kid if you don't think he can play. And I think some people are like, why is he still out there? It's like, because either that's the best we got or because he can really, really play. DeAndre Prince is a prime example when he was playing that year. I mean, and now he's back, that's, which is huge. But the defensive line, linebackers, there will be some depth things there. There'll be some young kids that if they're playing, you're going to be really excited. Like, Jakeven Brown is lining up out there. I will be incredibly excited. Um, but losing Jaquez is tough. But that, I don't know much about the Maryland kid. He'll come in and play fine. But, like, rolling back to it, it's all going to be defensive line. You have to get better from there. And, I mean, the defense, they, they can only go up. Only go up. So, we'll see what what do you think about the – like, if, when you're looking at the interior of it, who do you think is going – say, who do you think is going to play? A better way to phrase that. Who Like, when you recruit a JUCO kid, and I'm talking about Gordon and Aiden here, yeah. like, do you expect them to help? Do you expect I – mean, I know you expect them to help their JUCO kids, but, like, what kind of role do you see them playing this year? Because that could be a huge determining factor because Ole Miss was really, really soft on the interior last year. 
and it was a depth issue too, I guess. I, I say it was depth issue. There's probably underrated more sure. so than actually like front end talent. Like, how do you see that shaking out, I guess, this year? And what do you – like, when you bring in two pretty highly rated JUCO kids like that, what are you expecting out of them immediately? Because what – Quentin Bivens probably a pretty solid bet to be in the mix. You think you'd get something from KD Hill as well. But then the rest of the depth there is what? I mean, newcomers. It's Malone, Gordon, Iton. I mean, I know you got Patrick Lucas and DeSanto Rollins. You just lost yeah. David. Like, how do you kind of – I guess how do you view that uh, position group uh, kind of entering camp. Well, when you bring in JUCO kids that have less years than high school kids, I mean, it's a risk, and you're expecting them to start. So if they're not starting, that doesn't necessarily mean you whiffed. But you like when I watch that game against Louisville, I'm hoping Iden and Gordon are playing a lot because that's really where you you have to get more production in that spot. Um, LD Cox is still there, and I think. He, he just got to play a little bit harder, get in better shape. And then Patrick Lucas had a really good start to his freshman year and had that Achilles injury, and he's just working to come back from that. And I think you'll see a better version of him. But it's Aiton and Gordon. And, I mean, we recruited Gordon out of high school. Then he committed to, like, what, Auburn, I think. Ended up at JUCO. And, you know, JUCO is such a hit or miss. You just never, never know with these kids. But you trust your evaluations, and you really need them to come in and have an impact immediately. From an email standpoint, Katie Hill is a guy that you'd want to – you'd want him the first one to be off the bus. Like, if he's the first guy off the bus, you're like, okay, these are some bad dudes. And he kind of got in the mix immediately and very if – if my memory serves me correct, I don't have his bio pulled up. But I remember him when he first got here in very short spurts. He got on the field a couple of times, and you saw a couple of things where you're like, whoa, just from the limp, like the, from whatever you've seen from him, like what does he have to do better to kind of reach his potential? Because from a body frame standpoint, uh, he seems like an uh, evaluator's dream in terms of an interior defensive lineman. Sort of. He is a tough situation, he's a good player but he's pretty much strictly going to be a nose tackle. Okay. It's just he's shorter uh, lengthwise. He's, it's going to be tough for him a two-gap for three-tech just because of his size and stature. But what he is is a bowling ball. He is not easy to move. And there's not a lot of – you know, there's kids out there. They might be big, but you can still move them. He's tough to move. And that in itself got him on the field. I think it's just a little bit more production and uh, – position versatility that kind of keeps him from having a role that's expanded other than zero so I love that so you don't have to be this is one of the this is what's going to make this podcast great and this weekly <laughs> segment great you can just be like no idiot he is not an evaluator's dream because one of the things I've never thought about from that side of it is the versatility I guess because you know I think like big kid like you mentioned I was kind of like thinking about it from the bowling ball perspective hard to move probably be pretty good against the run but I guess the whole two, being able to move around outside a nose tackle is actually pretty important because it seems like an de interior defensive line is where you see a lot of the rotation and dudes coming in and off the field because it's a pretty yeah. exhausting position to play. So I guess I've never thought about the versatility aspect of it. And do they have a guy like that on the roster right now that you feel like is pretty versatile um, in terms of like where they, he could move around on the interior? Well, Tisdale – is that kind of guy. Okay. I mean, when we talk about that's your your version of an evaluator's dream. I mean, what that kid looks like. I mean, that's looks like an NFL player. He's got to start playing like one. 
but he looks like one. He's a guy who's long enough, athletic enough to play at four, four I or whatnot. I'm not going to lie and say I know all you know the whole defense and how all that scheme stuff. That's not that was not my job, but he's the guy that can move inside and outside. Okay, Sam probably can as well, but you really want him to stay on the outside and get to the passer. There's Patrick Lucas, if he comes back healthy, he's a guy who can do that. And I haven't seen Aiden or Gordon at practice, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, transition to the team. Uh, if I remember correctly, I mean, Gordon's like 6'2", I think. And Aiden's like 6'2". So they'll probably have some versatility. They'll, if they're long enough, they'll be able to play defensive end and tackle, those kind of guys. The uh the when you mentioned the edge like like you kind of mentioned like the the top end like you feel pretty good about it on paper with Tisdale and Williams but it's kind of interesting so Brandon Mack was another kid he's going to miss the season I believe it got reported last night he's going to miss the season with the Liz Frank injury that he suffered I guess really some sort of training yes that it happened last night it came across my ticker this morning so he's out it so it's interesting because beyond them it's a lot of guys and you could throw Mack into this group as well. Uh, even if he were healthy, it's like a, it's a whole group of like, you feel optimistic about them, but they haven't shown it on the field yet. And that group is Tavius Robinson, who seemed like he kind of came into his own a little bit last year, but I think that transition just coming down from Canada to the SEC and a weird COVID year, like that's yeah. tough. It just, I mean, off the field perspective too, it's a tough adjustment. Max in that group, Mac was a guy that a lot of preseason stories got written about last year about, you know, could this guy kind of be an answer as an outside hybrid linebacker or whatever? Like, he kind of popped in camp, and it just never really came together. I think he only played in five games. And then the other two are Cedric Johnson and Demon Clowney. So, like, it's interesting. They could potentially have depth there. If Robinson, Johnson, and Clowney all are kind of like what you think they could be, then you're kind of looking up four or five games in. It's like, okay, they kind of have something here. Um, I guess just take me through all three of those guys, Mac excluded, but, like, Robinson, Johnson, Clowney, what do you kind of see from them, um, I guess, from a upside standpoint? With very gotcha. shitty way to phrase the question, but whatever. I got you. No, no, no. Um, what's funny is that it's such a weird deal because that's probably the deepest position on defense. I would say definitely is. But it's also the pit position that usually there's only one on the field. Right. You know, now in third downs, you can bring on another one, play like a rabbit defense or whatever they used to call it. And you can have more rushers. But – Sam Williams, godly, he is the, just an absolute freak. He just has to be more consistent, more mature, some other things like that. But his camp when he came for recruiting out at, out of JUCO was one, maybe the best we've ever – we all saw while I was there. One of the best for sure. I mean, just an animal. And he is going to be so, 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 so important to this team. But, like you said, there is real depth. Robinson can play and play well. He uh, Towards the end of the season, he, he started playing much, much better. But Johnson, he was one of my favorite recruits ever because we just knew this kid was going to pan out. And, you know, he was kind of an under-the-radar kid, but his older brother played uh, quarterback at South Alabama and always used to come on the visits with him, which was kind of weird because he was still on the team. Um, and he was like 6'5". I mean, we just knew this kid was going to grow. He might be – I'd have to look through the roster, but maybe my favorite player on that defense. I think he's going to get so much better. And they're in a good spot there. But like I said, a lot of the times, 
there's only one in the field. So that's that's a tough deal to go with. That's a, I'm glad you went Johnson's direction because that's where I was kind of go next. If you wanted to make like a tricky Ole Miss football 2020 trivia question, who is the team's second team second who ranked second in sacks on the team last year? It was actually Cedric Johnson. He had three. Kind of has a crazy stat line for right now or game logs where he's got multiple games where he doesn't register a tackle but was second on the team in sacks. I know it was a low bar because Ole Miss really struggled to rush the passer, and I think that was uh, that was one of their biggest issues, and I think it amplified and shed uh, a lot of light and kind of exacerbated a lot of other issues, particularly on the back end from the secondary standpoint. It is – What's best case scenario for Cedric Johnson this year? You mentioned kind of bringing a second guy on the field on third down and kind of having being a pass rush specialist. I know you like him to be more than that, but is that like a role I guess you could see him thriving in? Yes, but I, you just got to get that kid on the field. Right. I remember in a team meeting, Kevin was like, who is this kid? Like, he has to play more. <laughs> yeah. Just going through and watching this film, he's like, this kid has to play more. And he did end up playing a ton more. Um what his role is going to be, just hopefully it's on the field as much as possible. I know that's such an easy answer. Not really a lot of insight there. Got to be on the field. And he is – guy, he's going to be really good. He's a really good player. The Momo Sonogo, last thing before we hit a couple hot points offensive, because we do still have a long offseason ahead of us. We can't, I, I'm not going to ask you to break down the too deep every podcast. I can. Pro, I promise you that. I won't subject you to that. I'm still forgetting, I'm forgetting some of these kids' names. I couldn't even remember. I think it's, it's Cedric Johnson. I literally had to go through and try to remember what his name was. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's still July. I forgot a tra- transfer they had on the podcast the other day. I interviewed an Alabama beat writer who had been on the beat like eight years, and he was like, Oh, hell, what's this kid's name? And I, I was like, don't worry, dude. I'll cut it out. It's July for everyone right now. But so, yeah. Momo Sonogo, injury standpoint, like, did that? Did you see that affecting him at all last year? Like, is he, quote, unquote, the same guy? What did you kind of see last year? Because he wasn't – he certainly wasn't the 19 version of himself, at least from what I saw. Or, I guess, 18, excuse me, because he missed most of 19. Yeah, um – I guess you could say it affected them a little bit, but I really think just the other linebackers were just playing better. Okay. That's why they're out there on the field more. And I love Momo. He was one of the first players I met. And he's a great kid. And he's a good college linebacker. But there's kids on the team that are just better. And that's why they were out there so much more. I mean, he came back healthy. And he's a leader and he's out there. But, uh, like, Jaquez will be a tough loss with depth. But Lakia Henry – when he's in shape and playing well, was just a better option for what they were doing on that end uh, in terms of Momo. And then you got Jack Brown, who I hope is going to play a lot more. But if he's not, there's a reason, like I said earlier. Who else is even out there? The Campbell kid. No, don't yeah, I think that's a, I nothing about him. That's <laughs> a plug and play start. I mean, I, I, at least if it's not, then they're in trouble. Like that, that seems particular. Yeah, you don't give a scholarship and waste a transport, a transfer portal scholarship on a kid if he's not starting. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that's, that's the, the goal, goal, at least hypothetically. But well, kind uh, of like the, the positive but, outlook or the positive, I guess, spin on the Jacques Jones thing would it like, would, you know, no one really knows why the kid left, right? Outside of a couple people inside the program or whatever. But like, that would be the way to spin it. it. Was like, right? They're good in the linebacker room, and in a year where he's kind of trying to get on NFL radars and improve his draft stock, he didn't want to have his snap count deteriorate. That's like one way to spin it. But I guess the other side of that, as you kind of pointed out a second ago, you know, Momo kind of shining as a—he's a good dude. He was a—he was a leader on a very bad defense. Always positive. I like him. But like you said, it's kind of a product of 
the talent getting better around him and kind of, I guess, tying those two points together, I guess if there was a kid that ended up moving and leaving because of the depth and the things that the talent getting better around him and him kind of seeing the writing on the wall from a snap count standpoint, I would have guessed that it would have been Sonogo. How much stock do you kind of put into the theory that Jacquez Jones left just because, you know, snap count, not wanting to have his role diminished at all? I couldn't say. I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, it's got to be. There's no real – I mean, these kids, they leave all the time now. And I think it's not a bad thing. You know, the transfer portal itself needs a lot of work. Um, I think I was listening to Sankey. What do you say? Like 1,600 are in there and only 1,100 haven't found places to go, which is insane. And it's always – I mean, we knew it was going to – right when it started, we were like, we knew this was a problem. Just – they're not going to be enough places to go. And you only, I mean, just the top are going to get so much better because these kids are going to be like, man, let's go play at Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, blah, 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 blah. Um, when it comes to Jones, I would say that's probably what happened, though. I would imagine he probably wanted to go to a place where he could start, get more snaps, get more exposure. He had a relationship with Summerall. I'm sure Summerall did that according to the law. And uh, I, that's that's my guess. And I bet I bet Campbell's a good player. I remember watching some of his film. And deep Coach Durkin, who's a very, very good evaluator, knows the kid. And I'm sure there was some trust there. And we're like, we can run what we need to run on defense with him. And Jaquez might have been like, you know what? See ya. Which isn't – I mean, you have the right to do that. It's fine. Yeah, it's common in this day and age, and that's going to become the norm if it's not the norm already. And that's the last probably a good transition and the last thing I wanted to hit with you today was speaking of uh, doing things by the laws, this whole NIL thing, uh, there are no laws, it seems like. Like they, everyone – seriously, people that are like – I, I want to phrase this carefully because I'm not like suggesting anyone's incompetent. Like people whose like job it is to kind of know kind of seem to not – no and I don't know if there's anything to know if that makes any sense at all because like this whole thing's happened and it's exploded these kids are signing deals left and right there's no real market value like market standard set which that'll that'll come in time but like you know when you ask someone even who's like kind of dealing sort of closely with compliance and it's like what's legal here what's not you don't really know because it's all a bunch of loosely hodgepodge together state laws there's no national mandate on this yeah like who in the hell is going to enforce those state laws? I have a very hard time believing the Mississippi uh, you know, state government is going to spend tremendous amount of resources making sure some dude's deal with Abner's chicken tenders is up to snuff. Like It seems like the actual Wild West, I think it's a good thing. Here's a general way to kick off the conversation. How would that have changed the way you, you guys did your job on a daily basis? Like, Have you thought about that at all? I haven't, and it's so confusing. <laughs> I don't right, know anything about this NIL stuff, and I've, I've followed it. I mean, so many people, I know like two or three people who have quit their job to go work at a law firm or an agency to go work with these kids and try to sign them the deals and whatnot. I mean, I guess it would have changed how we manage things. I'm sure we would have hired somebody, which I think Ole Miss has and most schools have, to kind of take that over. And hopefully, fingers crossed, if I was a recruiting person, I wouldn't want to deal with that at all. I'm sure the coaches don't. I mean, it's just such a nightmare. And it's good. They should be getting paid like this, 100%. I'm not – I'm all for it. They get as much money as they want. Bryce Young can get a million dollars. Don't care. 
but there's no rules right now. Right. And it's, there's going to be a moment where something's going to happen and then we're going to have to take a step back and be like, we've got to regulate this better somehow, some way, shape or form. I don't know how they're going to do it. And I don't know how the staffs are going to handle it because personally, I don't, <laughs> no one's really called BS on the whole Saban saying Bryce Young made a million dollars, which I think is hilarious. Like no one's doubting it, but Really? So you that, think that, that's interesting. You think it's possible that that's a little inflated as a recruiting tag? I never thought about that either, but that would make perfect sense. But who's going to check him on that? How could you check who? him? <laughs> I mean, I, he, maybe he does. Maybe he has it. Maybe he's making a million dollars. But if it's, but, if it's, if it's 450 and Saban says he's up close to a million, like that's still a ton of money, but like no one's oh. going to call him out on the exaggeratory factor because a million sounds a hell of a lot better than 450K, right? Right. It's close enough. And what, I mean, God, he was at the, uh, the Texas high school coaches convention, wasn't he? Or something like that. So of course. Oh, yeah, he, he was, yeah, he was selling it. That was a selling opportunity for sure. Yeah. And I, I, he's probably telling the truth. I mean, I don't, he has no reason. I mean, he has a lot of reasons not to, in that's case, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I don't know what the future of it's going to be. And it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I'm sure there's a lot of coaches with headaches they never thought they were going to have. And recruiting staffs, I'm sure, trying to figure out what to sell these kids these days is going to be a lot more fast than it used to be. Yeah, I actually probably asked you a question that you, like, couldn't answer yet because it is, like, hell, we're still less than a month into this thing. Like, I guess imagine, like, you – like, if you were working your – previous job like now I guess on the day-to-day -day, you're kind of learning more every single day about how this is going to change your job and it'll probably take some time right because someone two years from now is going to find a way to do this better than the other schools are doing it and then people will copy it with diluted versions of whatever that is kind of like the recruiting structure thing and then the second part of that is until this gets more regulated they're, they're, this is going to be like very interesting from a money standpoint in terms of who's worth what because eventually there's going to be some sort of huge correction. It's going to be like some of these deals being signed now are going to look like bargains and other ones are going to be like, why in the hell did you pay this kid this much money? There's going to be good deals and bad deals. And I'm kind of with you until there's like, I think regulation is coming. I just think it's going to take time. And maybe that's the only way to do this because, you know, Emmert was kind of begging for Congress to step in and do something and be like, can you please put some sort of national mandate in and, Everyone hates Mark Emmert for good reason, but I understood that, right? And there's a reason that the Power 5 AD signed a letter kind of backing that, that request as well, and it didn't happen, and maybe it'll happen in time, but, like, it's going to be fascinating to figure out how it changed people like yours' jobs and just the recruiting landscape in general and then how regulation further affects that. I, I guess what I, I don't even have a question there. I guess what I'm trying to get at is it could be four or five years before we have any idea, like, how to do this and what the long-term ramifications are. Right. Uh, it's just, there's so much to it. And it's like, are these kids going to become individuals, individual LLCs? Are they going to get taxed? Like how, I saw Roman Harper uh, mentioned that, like the taxing of all of this, how that's going to work and who's liable for what, you know, what's, what are the obligations the school has to help them, to handle all their finances. I mean, there's going to be a lot of open jobs because <laughs> they're going to be hiring people to figure all this kind of stuff out. And it's, it's just the beginning of it, but there's going to be a, like, a lot of regulating that needs to happen because there's going to be one moment where someone does something, not illegal per se, but just questionable 
and they're going to have to figure out ramifications of some of these deals are because they're getting crazy and there's so many of them it's it's a lot i don't know it's gonna be interesting i'm looking forward to seeing how it's shaking out i'm also looking forward to this uh this content segment each week so you've now made it through your first podcast i will now spend the next couple hours doing a cut up i'll have your good lines your bad lines and your medium lines uh sent to you by about 9 or 10 p.m tonight you have officially one podcast under the belt how does it feel my stomach's been churning like the whole time. Been nervous. I've never done anything like this. I have no idea if I'm good at it. I will definitely not listen to it because I don't want to hear myself talk. <laughs> uh, so I'm just have to trust you on your uh, your edit abilities because uh, you will not be hearing me listen to this anytime soon. I'll send it to as many people as I know, though. I can't wait to do it again. It's been fun. Like I said, it's always something I wanted to do, and. Uh, golly it's almost football season so that's the most exciting part no matter what dude there's a there's if some idiot like me can do a podcast i promise you can do a podcast i would give you a pretty solid grade on the first one so uh, you did good i'm looking forward to this content segment going in the future i'm 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 happy to uh, have someone to when i watch something on a saturday and then we discuss it on a sunday or a monday to be able to kind of tell me here's why this happened or is this theory completely like crap or is there any sense in it because like i guess you were like a set of eyeglasses, if that makes sense. You were the Rippy Rights Pod sets of eyeglasses to where you <laughs> have an understanding of like why things happen and from an eval standpoint that I just don't have. So I'm looking forward to it, dude. I think this is going to be fun. Uh, this was a uh, great conversation. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting this going once a week, once the season gets going. We'll check in periodically through camp. I'm not going to make you break down uh, – camp notebooks and stuff you know four yeah, that's, not, that's not happening <laughs> yeah no one wants no one wants that so we'll we'll check in periodically do you know your typical preseason talk during camp but uh once we get the season rolling i'm, I'm excited uh to kind of get this going at least once a week i'm just giving the listeners kind of an idea of what uh the plan with this is but dude i appreciate it and i'm uh i'm excited yeah, so am I. I can't believe we had an old Miss segment without talking about Arch, but uh, <laughs> uh that, that's coming. That's coming. That's Don't you worry. Uh, you're just lucky I love the recruiting. Yeah, we both have an interesting connection there for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm happy to keep doing this. Hopefully, I did well. Hopefully, people want to listen. Um, but see you next time, I guess. He's Weldon Rodenberg, uh, former recruiting specialist and now semi-professional podcaster. I appreciate it, dude. Take it easy. Yep, you too. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.